My guest on this week's episode of Suds and Search is Sean B. Bradley, president of Dealer Synergy. Sean is one of the most popular and sought after names in the automotive industry. He is an in-demand conference presenter and frequent keynote speaker. He's presented at nearly every major automotive conference, including NADA, Internet Battle Plan, NAMAD, and Digital Dealer. Sean and his company have won numerous awards, including the Platinum Dealer's Choice Award for Best Internet Sales Training Company in the United States. Sean's backstory is fascinating. He grew up in poverty and a world of violence. As a teenager, he got caught up in a life of gangs, drugs, and ultimately prison before completely turning his life around and becoming a multimillionaire and one of the most successful car salesmen and sales trainers in the world. His incredible life story was recently featured in the Vice series, I Was a Teenage Felon. This episode of Suds and Search is a bit of a departure from our usual topics of SEO, PBC, and digital marketing generally. Instead, we'll have more of a human discussion about the real-life story of a born hustler and sales and marketing prodigy. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Sean B. Bradley. We'll talk about how the project with Vice came into existence, his early days as a felon turned car salesman, and we'll talk a little bit about his sales strategies and how they've helped multiple dealerships go from selling around 20 units per month to over 100 units per month. All right, Sean Bradley, welcome to Sudden Search. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing fabulous. Thank you guys for having me. No, I'm happy to have you on. I want to tell you a story. I started out preparing for this interview. I went to your LinkedIn profile, and on your profile, it has all this brain. It says, I was a teenage felon. This is a promotion for an upcoming TV show. I know there's a story here. I know we have to get it. This is a marketing show, but I have to get this out of the way from the start. Uh, what felony did you commit, and what is this show all about? Uh, listen, uh, what I'm about to say is going to sound crazy as hell, but that's why I'm on I'm the season finale of a major TV show. So when I was a, a kid, I grew up differently than most people in, in my industry, in the automotive industry. I grew up in, in Queens, in Brooklyn, New York, very serious uh, environment, violence, poverty, neglect. My, my stepdad used to like torture my mother, shoot up with heroin, chain her to the bed, crazy stuff like that, man, like real serious stuff. Mm. And I've been hustling on the streets of Queens and Brooklyn since I was like six, seven years old. I was doing like, uh, my first hustle was um, getting like the, the candy catalog from, from first grade. I was in one area in Brooklyn, and like I was in one area of Brooklyn and the next, um, I, I would jump on public transportation and actually sell candy that didn't exist because it was an old brochure to a different town and just collect all the money. Yeah, it was just, you know, it was hustling as a kid. Then it graduated to like everything you could imagine, everything from clone cell phones to bulletproof vests to crack dealers in Queens to uh, crazy stuff, drugs, then uh, credit cards. And then I got, I got sent to a boy's home from 12 to 15 years old for three years. I was in a juvenile facility came home for a couple years. And then when I was 18 years old, I caught a federal case by the United States Secret Service for counterfeit money that was kind of tied to some crazy organized crime stuff. We'll leave it at that. Then um, I got scooped up in, in another federal case by the DEA. So in the, in the mid nineties, the largest nightclubs in the world were the Limelight Tunnel Palladium in New York City. At, at 18 years old, I was running VIP parties for celebrities and models and the fabulous people, you know, in New York City. Uh, it got, it was one of the largest cases in United States history. And at the time, um, it got pretty big. At one point, I was importing 10,000 pills of ecstasy from Amsterdam 
with a four-country flight route. So we were having uh, our couriers fly from JFK. No, I wasn't the courier. My girlfriend was the courier. Right. So oh. we had, you know, we had her flying from, you know, New York City, JFK to like Belgium, from Belgium taking a train into Holland, picking up the packages. We were actually had labs. That wasn't our labs. We were using labs there that would actually uh, press pills. And so we were the ones that brought the Playboy bunnies to the entire United States back in the mid-90s. Uh, the case blew up. One of my co-defendants, um, there's two cases, the federal case, which was what I'm on, the money case and, and you know, the club stuff. My co-defendant was on a state case, but tied to the federal case as well. His name is Michael Alec, very famous guy. Macaulay Culkin played him and his story in his last big movie called Party Monster. And it's about this New York City club kid that murdered another club kid and shopped him up and threw him in the river. That's part of the state case, which I wasn't on, but... The guy that was is also in my case, in the federal case, the racketeering case. So NYPD corruption, Giuliani was involved in the case. It was it was very huge. Um, so yeah, then I get arrested and I'm in the feds. And at one point I was in MCC Manhattan and MDC Brooklyn, this is New York federal prison. Um, I was with the World Trade Center bomber, the one from 1993 that blew, that blew right. up. So here I'm a, I'm a nine-year-old kid, club kid raver in federal prison. And uh, I'm in the hole because I got into a fight. It was no big deal. You know what I mean? It wasn't even that deep. But they put you in the feds. Uh, you know, like it's not like on TV where you're the, the hole, you're by yourself. No, it depends. If, if you don't have somebody that's, that's at risk on your case or something like that, then right. most people in the hole, in the feds at least that I know about, are, have, like, have bunkies, even in the hole. You know what I mean? So right. it was just crazy, man. Yeah, so it was a very serious case. Uh, everything from Italian organized crime, Russian organized crime, gangs on the street to, you know, just it's got all the sensational stories. <laughs> this is incredible. So yeah. you're going to be on a TV show. How did yeah, they find starring. you? I'm actually starring. Yeah, you're in, the, in the season finale, you said. Yeah, the season so finale. How did they find you? How did they put this story together? And what was that whole experience like working on a TV show? For, surreal on so many different levels so let's start with that i'm already in a major movie uh, called limelight and the director of that is a super famous guy named billy corbin he did the cocaine cowboy yeah. which is so, yeah nice. so uh, there's a movie called limelight that i'm in i'm also in two major books one's called clubland the rise and fall of the new york club scene and then another book called chemical cowboys which was written by the de agent the problem though was i never gave my side of the story i never gave my stuff because i knew way back then that one day I would be ready to kind of talk about the case and, you know, and be able to also monetize my story. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why am I going to be a sucker and just, you know, play to these guys, books and stuff Sorry. like that. So um, I refused, like, politely, and they got pissed. Like, these people, like, because I was a huge part of the case, and I wasn't, you know, enticed by my 15 minutes of fame, so to speak. So, you know, I've got letters that I have preserved literally in my safety deposit box from these people pissed that, like, you know, like, uh, the guy Billy Corbin sent me a, an email email that I printed out that said, I quote, you're not going to stop the production of this thing. And I wasn't trying to stop it, but unless you're going to pay me and, you know, and, and hear what I'm going to say, I'm not going to turn on and be an idiot right. and let you spin stuff. So that's first thing I want to say is that I'm already in major media because it's, it's a, it's a very serious case. You know what I mean? That it, that's wow. was one of the largest cases okay. in United States history is, but how did vice find me? This is a crazy story, a crazy story. So I'll never forget. It's about February. And I was walking out of my office that I'm in right now, 
and I, my phone's ringing on my desk, and I'm going to just kind of show, like, the phone right there, right? And okay. I never answer my phone, and I definitely damn sure to answer my phone at 430 because I'm the president of a national multimillion-dollar company now. So everybody's trying to sell me stuff, like, like dealer principles. Everybody's trying to sell dealer right. stuff. So I don't usually answer my phone. My assistant kind of screens the calls. But I just I don't know why. I, I answer the phone, and the woman almost sounded, like, desperate, you know what I mean? Which kind of, like, was like, what the hell is going on? She's like, Sean? Sean Bradley? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, my gosh, I've been trying to reach you. And I'm like... It ain't that hard to reach me. Like I'm like Mike Jones. Like my name is everywhere. My phone number is everywhere. But she's like, I've been trying to find you for the last month and a half. And she tells me she's from, you know, she's a producer from the show. Uh, and, and she said IDP, and I'll explain. So the way that it works that I'm learning about TV is that Vice is a major TV network. But what they do in most TV networks, they, they basically subcontract to a production company to be able to produce a show. For example, Ancient Aliens on History Channel, Prometheus uh -huh. is the production company for it, not the History Channel. Now, those people, the company's IDP, it's like Internet Intellectual uh, something company, right? They have subcontractors that are freelance producers for different parts of the project, which is interesting. I had no idea. So this was the scouting manager, and her job was to find people for the show. I thought that this woman found me through my radio show, because at this time I had a nationally syndicated radio show called Against All Odds, which, you know, uh, Greg Gifford was one of my, my, my guests on the show. But it wasn't. This woman, like, and they have a team of people, apparently, that searched Google, search engine optimization, you know, because if yeah. the show is I was a teenage felon, you know, they're looking for cases for people that were teenagers that were arrested that had sensational cases. The name is, is okay. But th that really is not the show. The show should be called Teenage Kingpin. Like every single person that's on the show has a surreal case, you know, and, and I'll get a little bit more into the, to why I like Vice. And so when they, they, they presented this to me, she also said, Sean, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you hadn't answered this phone, I would have given up. This was the last attempt. No, and this was right during COVID, you know what I mean, when there was lockdown and stuff like that. So I don't know what happened, but she even tried to call my wife, Karina, Karen, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, and she had a, a voicemail left for Karen, but we had just remodeled our office, and so the extensions got switched. So it, literally, by the grace of God, you know, this woman got a hold of me. And I've been pitched before, and I'm sure you guys have heard too. Like, there's companies that let's say, look, oh my God, you won this award, but it cost five thousand dollars to to, to yeah, yeah, yeah. in there. Or yeah, you could be on this TV show, but you know, the production is going to be this. I didn't believe it at first until the the second phone call where she went through and she had so much of the information and the case and all this other stuff i was like damn and then i did some google research i never even heard of vice before because i'm busy trying to take over the world not watch really tv programs and when i did my research i'm like holy crap this is a real news agency like you know the, and this is a this is a major network especially built for millennials and they specialize in true crime prison reform and what I liked about this, because I've been pitched before to be part of other people's stories or this or that, but the reason why I like the Vice opportunity, because it doesn't just you know, glorify the stupid, crazy stuff that I did at 18 years old and younger. I'm a 45-year-old man married with wife and kids, and I don't want to just talk about and glorify that stuff. But what's really special about Vice is that they're about redemption, like, uh, you know, they're about evolution, they're about prison reform, etc. So the part of the show is that the majority is, is, you know, that's the sensational TV aspect is this crazy story. But everybody is doing something that they, they changed their life, 
or they're, they're doing some impact. I'll give you an example. The season finale from uh, season one, the guy's named Seth Ferrante. He was 17 years old and he was like an LSD kingpin and weed kingpin. And, you know, for colleges, just straight like, you know, like preppy guy, not a gangster at all, no weapons, nothing. But he was making like hundreds of thousands, I think even millions of dollars as a teenager. He got arrested by the feds. He was facing seven, I think it was like 25 to 70 years in prison because it's LSD. So instead of flipping and cooperating, what he did was he faked his own death and went on the run for a couple of years. And he was the U.S. Marshal's number 15 most wanted. They arrested him, finally caught him after a couple of years. The guy was a brilliant kid. He wound up doing 21 years straight in prison. While he was in prison though, he changed his life. He got his associates, his bachelor's, his master's degree. He wrote eight books, came home and became the writer and producer of a Netflix top 10 movie, White Boy, about White Boy Rick. White that's Boy Rick. Yeah, wow, yeah, I watched that movie. Unbelievable. Yeah, so again, so that's the type of story that they're looking for is like, wow, my God, like he was on the run from the feds, faking his own death, you 21 years in prison, and then the, the, the end is, man, look at what he's doing now. Now, not everybody has a story like mine and then the outcome where I'm at now. So what Vice told me was that in the entire two seasons, which is 20 episodes by far, they were blown away by, you know, not only my story, but where I'm at right now, you know, and then on top of that, they've got people, but they don't have people that are trained like I am in the National Speakers Association, as far as public speaking and articulation, because somebody might have a good story, but they can't be charismatic on camera and articulate and flow and things like that. So they were really blown away. That's how I landed the, the season finale position. So it just aired, episode one aired last this, this last Monday on September 20th. My episode airs on November 22nd, and it's a full hour dedicated to my story. And then they flew my mother in from Florida. And then one of my, my best friends who I've been friends with for almost 30 years, his name is Billy V. He's actually a GM at a dealership, an independent okay. dealership in Pennsylvania. His wife works for me, Franca, and she's been with me for over six years. But uh, so it's me, and then there's two, um, you know, supporting characters, so to speak, from the show, like from my life, and they do recreations. That's what I'm excited about the most is the recreations because back in the day, man, every time we watch A and E, it was corny and cheesy because yeah. they have these 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 fake actors. So now that's not what they do nowadays. So when they do these recreations, they're 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 way better, and they don't ever involve actors. So I'll give you an example of how they're going to use my recreations. One of my one of the stories that's going to come out in the show is that. Um, I got hit by this for counterfeit money from, from Brooklyn, from yeah. some serious stuff. And I wasn't making the counterfeit money, but I was curating and working the counterfeit money, which means when I got it, it was in sheets. There was like in these large yeah. sheets and I have to cut it and, you know, into, into bills, right? Then I had yeah. to take tea. I used to have to, I had to boil tea and then I would okay. dip the bills in there. So it stains the bills. So it's got that more real look. And then we had clotheslines in my bathroom, like with like a whole bunch of counterfeit fifties that are air drying on clotheslines. So when I tell that story, they're going to have, I believe, recreations on it and there never will be anybody playing me or, or anybody that's in the show as an actor. It's, it's just like B-roll footage. You know what I mean? It's like B-roll footage, running footage, but it's all custom for, you know, for what I'm saying. So it's pretty crazy. That's amazing. And I mean, I think the main thing is what you said is this is a redemption story. So this is about you now are uh, this huge name in automotive. And I didn't know this about you. So like in in the past, how did you, I mean, I guess that's the question. How'd you go from, you're in a jail cell, 
to working in automotive to starring in automotive, were you secretive about this? Did you just no, 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 that's like, no. Nah, see, for me, is that I'm really big on the laws of attraction and manifestation. It's really a big part of my life and my success. Um, but when I came home, uh, I got to just be very transparent. I was 22 years old. You know, by the time I was 22 years old, I lost six years of my life. You know, three years in a juvenile facility and three years in a federal facility, and just straight on some street stuff. You know what I mean? Like that was my whole life. Like, and again, when you see it, it's, it's hard to explain. It's a lot of what these people rap about and what these people talk about. Like that was really my life, you know, on a very, very serious level. So for me, when I came home after doing three straight years in prison, I got a job at, at food because I had to, cause I was on federal parole supervised release is called. And for a, a couple of weeks, it was, it was, it was like, Oh my God, I felt like I was Donald Trump or I felt like I was like, you know, Bill Gates working at food town cause I was out of prison. That wore off real quick in less than yeah. a month. And then I went back to Brooklyn and I started lighting up the streets, man. Like I, I was doing my thing again, but something came over me. Like, really, I, I don't, I don't, I have faith, but I'm not really overly religious and I don't quote scriptures and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's the universe, dumb luck or God or whatever you want to call it. But I had this feeling it's like, man, I need to just change something or else I'm going to get locked back up and it's going to be my rest of my life is in and out. Yeah. So I made the decision that I wanted to just change my life. So I, I'll never forget, I was living in Keensburg, New Jersey, which is AKA called Sleesburg. That's what they call it because it's like one square mile of just depression. There's either, you know, uh, bars or, 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 or gun stores. It's just like very, very poor, sad, depressing area that I was living in. And I moved out of there into a beautiful hot spot called Red Bank, New Jersey. And man, I, 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 I've left with just a backpack, a Walkman and a thousand dollars cash. That's it. I had on me and I try to rent a room, you know, for uh, like $500 a month in Red Bank. It turned out, and this is no exaggeration, that it wasn't what they said in the ad. And I wind up renting a couch. I spent $500 a month renting a couch. I got a job as a waiter in Red Bank, New Jersey at a diner. And I, that's how I started my life. And I sucked as a waiter and I got fired a couple of times from a couple of different like restaurant places. So my friend Billy said, yo, you should sell cars because he was in the car industry. And I got into car sales and I, I just killed it, man. First month, salesman of the month. First year, salesman of the year. I was averaging 33 cars a month on the floor. I get scooped up after my first year by a dealer group called Pine Belt, Nissan, Kia, Cadillac. And back in 2001, 2002, I was selling 110 units a month out of my internet department 20 years ago. I was murdering it. And then after five years, and so you asked a question as far as, you know, was I secretive? No, I was very vocal of it. What I wasn't like descriptive is because, come on, man, if somebody turns on and tells you that they were involved with Russian organized crime, you know, with Italian organized crime, gang stuff, there's all these models, celebrities, you think that they're either full of crap or they're delusional and they need medication because they're lying. So I never, ever really told everybody the magnitude and the, and, and the depth that I was immersed in, but I was very transparent. I, I, everybody that I come in conflict with my, my jobs, vendors, everybody knew that I, I just lost six years of my life. You know, I was in prison and I'm pretty much a street kid that's, you know, trying to change my life. So I've always been transparent with it. And, you know, I've never been ashamed of it. And I've never been, you know, I've never been, you know, scared that that's going to hold me back. You know, and, and I think that that's one thing I'm really excited about because there's a lot of people that don't think that they, that they are capable of success because they're, they're minorities, they're black, they're Spanish, they're gay, they're, they're, they're from you know, impoverished areas or whatever. And I am the personification of what is possible, you know, in this country, you know what I mean? To be able to go from, you know, uh, losing six years of your life, ex gang member, 
ex, you know, uh, convict, ex, you know, piece of crap, street kid, you know, violence, poverty, like all that stuff. If I could go from that and being in debt, because when I, I was in college at Ryder University, when I, when I went away to prison, so I defaulted in my college loan and all that stuff. So not only did I have that, my credit was shot and I was $50,000 in debt when I got out of prison. At twenty, yeah, I was, I was, a, I was a hot prospect for people. You know what I mean? Like, oh I, you know, my god! Well, I, this is this is the other part of the story. Is like, you started a company in two thousand four, so really yeah. not that long after you got out of prison. You look kind of look too young to have had a business for seventeen years, but you're an entrepreneur. So you decided to bet on yourself, and you did it young. So why not, you know, get a job that you're having all the success in the dealership? Why not move up the ladder, have some steady income, just have a little. It's not how it's wired. Listen to me, I'm like, look, and I could just speak freely now for the first time in my life with stuff. Listen, I'm a natural born hustler. You know what I mean? And that doesn't mean gangster, violent. It just means that my mind operates differently. And so why would somebody at 18 years old figure out a way to fly through four different countries and import 10,000 pills of ecstasy? Here's why. Because in the nightclubs at that point, they were minimum 30 to $35 a pill. In Amsterdam, I was getting them from $3 a pill. So again, that's been in, in, inside of me for a long time. Why am I selling counter for money? Because I get them 20 cents on a dollar and I can make X amount. So if I'm making, at Cherry Hill Nissan was the last dealership I was working at, I was making close to $160,000 a year in 2003 at Cherry Hill Nissan as the BDC director in one of the top, in the number one dealership, Nissan store in the Northeast region of the United States. But you got to think about this. If I'm, make, if I'm making $158,000, how much money am I making that dealership to be okay with paying me $160,000? At least six hundred dollars to $900,000 is what I'm generating in real cash and value. So my mind's thinking, if I could do that, why the hell am I working for this guy who's psychotic anyway, you know, and they've got their own issues and this and that. I, I could at least make what I'm making for myself. And God forbid I was wrong, I miscalculated and I made less than that. If I only made 100000 at least I'm working for myself. So real quickly, after five, little, little over five years on the front line in the dealerships, I started my first company and then it's flipped right now. This is what a lot of people don't know either, Greg, is that me and my wife own 10 companies. Dealer Synergy is an eight figure business and we have two other multi-million dollar businesses. Half of our businesses are in the automotive industry and half are in other verticals. My wife owns a company called Scarfood, which she's making a ton of money on uh, and it's a product line in the beauty industry. We have a company called Bradley Property Management, which I have a multi-multi-million dollar real estate portfolio with rental properties, commercial properties, and all that stuff. Um, and with the way the economy is right now, we just, we just sold one of our properties and made a ton of money. In addition to that, we have a software development company. I've been working on software for our industry in automotive called Syntech for like the last six years. If, I, if, if everything goes according to my plan and I'm pretty good at what I do, the setup for acquisition on that software will be over $110 million. You know I mean, just from that software acquisition that I'm working on there. Then I have Bradley Unmanned, you know, which is a company. Then I have my conference company. Then I've got the dealer synergy company. And then I've got, and then I've got, and I've got. So I've generated in personal income for myself of around $50 million. You know what I mean? So that's, that's me. So yeah, from where I came from to where I'm at right now, and I feel like... I'm in the best shape of my life. You know what I mean? I'm in the best Crazy. position of my life and I'm only 45 years old. So this is only the beginning. I'm in the process right now of taking everything that I'm good at and I'm great at and I'm now morphing into the mainstream world like a Tony Robbins and things like that. So uh, for me, this show is going to put me on a global map. I think there's 7 million people that are going to be tuning in in about four different countries when, you know, when, for my season finale. So it's crazy. Crazy. Well, that's amazing. And I mean... 
I, I guess I should do this. This is a show where we usually talk about marketing and sometimes about sales. So we should probably do a that. Let me spin that in there. Yeah, you want to hear some? And I told Greg about this, some gangster-ish. If you yeah. go to YouTube and you type in, um, I was a teenage felon season two, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. VSCO. That's how I got my book deal. I'm an international best in all of You know, that's my ish is video optimization. That's my only thing. I, I, mm-hmm. lo- I love videos and how to optimize videos. If you look at that, the return, um, Vice themselves and their, their channel has got, like, there's two different vices. There's Vice TV, which I think has got 1.4, 1.8 million subscribers. And then there's Vice, the parent company, which has got like 5 million or more. So Vice TV uploaded about three weeks ago, the trailer. If you look at it, my, my dude, it's crazy. Cause that's the network. The TV network has only got nine and a half thousand views with, I think like 20 or 30 comments. And, um, and, and they have 1.8 million subscribers or something like that. But look what's also on that return on YouTube, right? My video, which is the trailer, right? Uh, but it's 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 a little bit different version because it's got me in it. It's got like sixty four thousand views, two hundred and three comments, which are real. If you look at the comments, they're all they're my fans. Like if you click on their real profiles, it's it's not it's like legit organic stuff, my my friend. So I'm murdering my VSEO skills, and I only have fourteen thousand three hundred subscribers. Is better than a national TV network. So that's a cool marketing thing. And then on top of that, I was shocked to find out that this major TV network didn't own their URL. I was a teenage felon.com because they, the, the way that you find it, it go, it's vice tv.com forward slash. I was a teenage felon, which is the right way to do it, but they should have secured their URL. So what I did is I bought their URL and I've got my web team is basically creating a version of the site that looks like it's authentically from vice, but it's all about me. You know what I mean? And then it, it, it's narrated there for the SEO value. I just, I have a major campaign that I'm doing separate from vice bought billboards on Philadelphia, I 95 and 676 huge billboard promoting me and the, and the season finale, 2 million impressions in the month of November, just on that billboard. We've got, I've got iHeartRadio. We have a major campaign that's going to drop in New York, in DC, Philadelphia, New Jersey, promoting it, not nationally, but locally in my area. And then we also have, um, you know, I'm getting booked to do TV shows and morning shows to talk about my story and all that stuff. Like, yo, I, I hear every morning I wake up right now, I hear Eminem eight mile, I got one shot. So I'm maximizing the major publicity of this to catapult me into the mainstream Tony Robbins arena. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, I mean, like, listen, I think this is like an amazing story. I had a zillion questions for you about the chip shortage and automobiles sales and everything else. I'm glad we went down this track, but you know, I, I appreciate your time so much that I, I want to just kind of sign off here. If like, if people want to get in touch with you, what's your favorite social media? What's the way to do that? How, how do you like to be connected? Well, again, you can find me everywhere. You know, I love, I'm a little bit older, so I'm a face, I love Facebook. You know, I'm getting now into Instagram apparently, but it's at Sean V. Bradley. I always use the V, so they can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's at Sean V. Bradley. Um, if you're in the automotive industry, the big thing is that we have the number one Facebook group on the planet. You know what I mean? It's the millionaire car salesman group on Facebook. There's about 21,000 automotive pros that are in there. We also have the Millionaire Car Salesman podcast that you could you know, catch up on, on what's going on. But Sean B. Bradley. And again, you could just Google me. I'm all over the place. Like I told you, like Mike Jones, the rapper. My phone number is 267-319-6776. That is my actual real personal cell phone number. I'm not shy. Awesome. Well, Sean, like this has been uh, one of the 
coolest and craziest episodes of Southern Church we've ever had. I'm like, I'm gonna give you a virtual cheers. I gotta sign off for now, but you know, for everybody watching, we'll be back next week with another episode of Southern Search. Mm-hmm.